Amen. Thank you, Nathan. This is my this is my first migraine, and so I don't know really how to live with it. But I can say for the first time that I've never been happier, thankful for uh, Vancouver winters when it gets darker earlier. Uh, you know, I would never think that I wanted to get darker faster in my home. Anyways, let's begin. Uh, the Family Man is, in my humble opinion, one of the most underrated Christmas movies. It is also one of the most underrated movies of the man who bears the unbearable weight of massive talent. That is Nicolas Cage. He plays Jack, a carefree bachelor and a successful Wall Street executive in New York City. And on Christmas Day, however, Jack wakes up in a modest house in New Jersey uh, next to his old girlfriend of 13 years ago, the only love of his life, along with two strange children. Jack soon discovers that he somehow is living the life he would have had had he not taken an internship in London that eventually led to the end of their relationship. Jack and Kate in this scenario are married, they have two wonderful children, and Jack is a local car tire salesman. Nathan, can you just give me another, uh, thank you. In an attempt to make the most of this new life, Jack goes into hustle mode. He lands somehow a high-paying job in New York City again and takes Kate to the new apartment that he wants to buy for them. However, Kate isn't having it. In response, Jack says, Kate, you're not understanding me. I'm talking about a perfect life, a great life. Everything we pictured when we were young, the whole package... Please, just think about this for one second. No more lousy restaurants. No more clipping coupons. No more shoveling snow. Then get a a goddamn snowblower, Jack. Don't go get a new career without even telling me about it. And don't. Don't take Annie out of a school she loves. And don't move us out of a house we've become a family in. Jack says, don't you see... I'm talking about us finally having a life other people envy. Jack, she says, they already do envy us. Can you relate to Jack in in any way? I don't mean having gone back and lived another life. Thank you. Can you relate to Jack? I don't mean having gone back and lived another life in the multiverse, but perhaps for you there is a relationship, a lover, a friend, a family member um, who grew grew distant or the relationship fell apart uh, because you prioritize an internship in London or perhaps you had a dream of life in Manhattan. Because your mind, your heart, your life was too full of the things in retrospect that weren't all that important. Perhaps it was a job, a relationship, a way of life, 
or simply a vision for the perfect, for the great life that other people envy. And looking back, perhaps you realize that had you made some other choices, had you made some more room for this person, this person might still be in your life or simply closer in a much greater source of joy, strength, and life than that thing that you were chasing before gave you or gives you. In joy to the world, we sing these words. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king, and let every heart prepare him room. Isaac Watts, the English pastor, published this song in 1719. Despite being 300 years ago, Watts knew the truth that the family man, Xmas elf, home alone in practically every Christmas movie tells us that if we're too busy, we can forget and lose what's most important to us. In short, we, that we can't receive what we don't have room for. Today is the first day of the season of Advent, which Caitlin and Daniel said means arrival or coming. And the title for our sermon series is Prepare Him Room, based off of Watts' timeless song and insight. During Advent, we celebrate both Jesus' coming 2,000 years ago, but also his future coming, whenever that may be. And at 10th, we want to be a community that has room in our hearts for him, to receive him. And although we are always called throughout the year to be preparing room for Jesus, uh, Advent has always been that special time in the church calendar, in the church history, where the church dedicated its communal life to preparing room uh, for Jesus. Uh, If you can, uh, please grab your Bibles in front of you and turn to Luke 2.25. And then would you stand with me to make room with our bodies for the reading of God's word. Luke 2.25. Luke 2.25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, sorry, We'll uh, move on to verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. 
She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. In our text for tonight, we meet Simeon, the very first person that got to literally receive Jesus. When we read that Simeon took Jesus into his arms, the word took in Greek actually means to receive. So don't interpret it as Jesus or Simeon just took baby Jesus from Mary and Joseph. Uh, They gave him, they gave Simeon, and Simeon received Jesus into his arms. If Simeon could receive Jesus, perhaps we have a clue then on how we might be able to receive Jesus. Uh, Perhaps there is a clue in our story. And I believe that this clue is found in our first verse. Let's read that again. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Along with the being the first person to receive Jesus, Simeon is also the first person recorded to be waiting for Jesus. If you were here for my last sermon, uh, you know that I do not like driving people. Uh, uh, The only thing that I dislike more is waiting to drive other people. My best friend, who we'll call Jane, is chronically always late. We'll agree on a time for her to, uh, for me to pick her up. And so as I leave my house, I will text her and tell her I'm on my way. When I am a few minutes away, I will then call her safely and tell her to come down. Despite all these warnings, I have often stood outside her apartment in the cold on a not-so-bright street of Vancouver, sometimes as long as 20 minutes. I'll buzz her unit to be let in, but no answer. My friend was in a way waiting for me, but not really waiting for me at the same time. And she says to me, what's the big deal? Can't you just go on your phone? Can't you just go on Instagram and watch something on YouTube? For Jane, waiting is not a big deal. Whenever she has to wait for me at my place, which is quite often also, she is never upset. Upset. In fact, she's not phased, no cares at all. She's in her car, She's on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. My friend Jane, I think, represents the two ways I think we approach often waiting. We either do our own thing until the last moment, it's in our calendar, uh, but we do our own thing until the last minute, or we distract ourselves and occupy ourselves until the person arrives. I would like to argue that biblically waiting for Jesus is neither of these things. 
the word waiting in, in the Bible, um, there's two words, there's a few words, but our word for waiting here is a complex word, and it is a beautiful word. Uh, in Greek, it is pronounced pros dekomenos, and it is the combination of two words, pros and dekomai. Let me explain both words. Uh, pros means to, towards, with, as in they went to Jerusalem. They went pros-Jerusalem. The Greek dictionary says it denotes motion towards a place. It can be used as a preposition, like it is in our word here, as in someone is pro-something or pro-something else. They are not neutral about it. They are moving towards it. Then the word dekomai means to receive, to accept, to welcome. When we read that Simeon took Jesus into his arms, the word is received, dekomai. Why does Luke add pros to this word? Why doesn't Luke just say he was waiting, he was receiving Jesus? My hunch is that because waiting for Jesus is never passive, but active. Waiting is receiving Christ, but in motion towards him. A couple months ago, I went to my colleague, Pastor Leanne's house for dinner and with our former life group. When I entered her home, her, her daughter, who we'll call Olivia, shouts, Uncle Ryan, and immediately rushes over uh, with her arms open to hug me. What do I do? Do I just wait for her, stay on my phone until she, she grabs my legs? No, that would, that would, not, be, that would not be kind. I, I crouch down. I, I, I crouch down, and I immediately open my arms, and I wait for her to come to come for that embrace. And I think in the same way when we are called to wait for Christ, we are called to wait, crouch down with arms open. As we continue to read our passage, we meet another person, Anna, a prophet and a group of people that were, quote, looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Guess what look forward in Greek is? Pros nekomenos. To wait is to look forward. The NET translation switches the words and says Simeon was looking forward and all the people were waiting. The New Living Translation says that Simeon was eagerly waiting and the people were waiting expectantly. Eugene Peterson in the message says Simeon lived in prayerful expectancy and the people were waiting expectantly. In other parts of our Bible, our word for tonight is translated as welcome. Uh, when the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners, they say this man welcomes prostekomenos sinners and eats with them. I think that is interesting. In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul tells them that he is eager to send Epaphroditus, his brother, his co-worker, and fellow soldier to them. 
And he tells them to welcome, to prostekomenos them, sorry, him in the Lord with great joy. Embedded in this simple word of waiting is this warm welcome. It's not the type of just waiting for the bus in the cold, but in your home, ready with candles and, and, and scented candles and, and other things. I'm not a host, but to welcome the person to your home. When Samantha, who is a part of our community, was sharing with me her life story, she told me how she, when she was a little girl and her parents arranged play dates for her, Sam would sit by the window looking forward, uh, looking at the front yard uh, for the arrival of her friend. To wait for Christ um, isn't to wait like my friend Jane, definitely. But it's neither to, to wait for the bus. Rather, it's to, to wait for a child to run into your arms, to, to wait for your best friend to come to your house and to play. What stood out for me more than anything in Sam's story, however, was when Sam made this simple but profound statement. I waited with joy because I knew what was coming was good. I waited with joy because I knew what was coming was good. We wait, we look forward to, we welcome Jesus' coming because Jesus' coming is good. Now, unfortunately, however, I think for many of us, when we hear the term Jesus' coming or second coming or other words related to that, we might not automatically or naturally have positive vibes towards this term. Uh, Seth Rogen in his movie, This is the End, paints a comical, but I think common misunderstanding and picture of how people perceive Jesus coming. They think of thunderbolts, they think of monsters, they think of the world going into chaos, and everyone who doesn't get beamed up to heaven has to survive. Let me suggest that this is not what the scriptures teach. Before Jesus arrived, before Jesus' advent, the world, according to scripture, was in total darkness. C.S. Lewis describes the situation in the Chronicles of Narnia as being always winter and never Christmas. Now, Lewis is from England, so he has winters similar to us here. And so I want you to imagine a world which was always winter in Christmas. Sorry, always winter in Vancouver, but never Christmas. That, my friends, is hell. (laughs) But when Aslan comes, when Jesus arrives, something happens. The snow begins to melt. The prophet Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. The great Episcopal priest Fleming Rutledge says, we stand at the juncture, juncture of two ages. 
the old age of approaching winter where God's own people, along with the world at large, are frozen in sin, separation, and death. Locked in a silent room where God speaks no word. And the age to come where the glow in the eastern sky announces the coming of the rising sun. Those who serve God still stand in a dark place, but we strain forward with expectation and an unconquerable hope toward the horizon where the sun of righteousness will appear someday with healing in his wings. And when he comes, the ice age will be over forever. When Jesus, the king of glory, comes again, he will fully establish his kingdom here on earth. Sometimes what we might call as simply heaven. The ice age will be over forever and Jesus' good and perfect will will rule. And where God's perfect peace, love, joy reign. We wait for the ice age to be over. We wait for the darkness to clear. We wait for the sun to rise. And we wait with eagerness and expectation. When the Apostle John has a vision, a revelation of heaven, he writes, Before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In heaven, there will be a peace in the world. The world will be as John Legend imagined. John Lennon, not legend. John Lennon imagined. Good author, good singer too. Will live as one. But where every culture, every ethnic group, every language is fully loved and celebrated. We won't be all wearing white or suits for that matter, speaking in English or being led by Western culture. It will be a remarkable new world in which every culture and people group, ancient, modern, and future, will live in the world as one. Israel writes that when Jesus returns, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Now, I don't know if this is literal or metaphorical. Metaphorical. I don't know if Pokemon will be, will be happening. But what I do know is that with Jesus' coming comes true and everlasting world peace. But not just peace between us humans, but between us and creation and creation with itself. Climate change will no longer be an issue and every extinct animal species will come back just to name a few. I don't know about you, but I think that this is a world to look forward to, to eagerly expect and wait for. What does waiting look like for us today in the 21st century? What does waiting look like when we don't actually know when Jesus is returning? I believe it calls us to the practice that the church has really practiced since its advent. 
and that is fasting and feasting. One of the things I lament about for Christmas is that I no longer have this sense of excitement about Christmas as I used to when I was a kid. Now, I don't know what your practices were growing up, but I grew up with advent calendars, and I grew up with presents slowly being added to the tree. Every day, I would have to wait. Wait to eat the next chocolate of the day, and wait to open my presents. And through it all, I developed a greater desire for Christmas, a greater expectation, longing for that day. And one of the ways that the church has developed intentionally childlike waiting and expectation in themselves has been through fasting and feasting. Fasting is the practice of literally making room in our bodies and lives to receive Christ. We remove something good, emphasis on good, from our lives for a season in order to make room for Christ to receive Christ. This could be meat, animal products, or simply a meal. In fasting, we create waiting and expectation. And then in feasting, when we partake in what we fasted from, we remind ourselves that in Christ's kingdom, we will feast for eternity on God's goodness and on God's gifts. Now, this might be a little controversial, but this is why I'm of the opinion that for this type of fasting, you can't fast off of social media. Here's why. Because feasting on social media, I don't think is healthy or a good idea. Now, you can fast on something else like television and movies. I think those are good. And then you feast on a a Lord of the Rings day or all your favorite Christmas movies. You can fast during the day and feast at night. Uh, Fast during the week, feast on the Sabbath. You can fast all Advent long and feast on Christmas day. There is flexibility. For myself, just to let you know, I'm not telling you to do things that I'm not doing myself. Uh, I will be fasting every day until sundown, that is 5 p.m., until Christmas. And each day, I look forward to the evening when I can eat. I look forward to dinner. And starting today, I look forward to Christmas. On Christmas Day, I will eat all the chocolate and drink all the eggnog and consume copious amounts of sugar and fat into my body until thanks uh, turkey dinner at my aunt's. And every time before I eat, and especially on Christmas, I pray and remember that this meal I am about to consume, as good as it may taste and be, is only a foretaste. It's only a glimmer, a glimpse of what we will experience in God's kingdom, of the great banquet. Although fasting can be done for other reasons, the development of self-control, the mortification of the flesh, 
The kind of fasting I'm talking about today is the one that is intentional about developing longing, developing excitement, expectation for Christ's coming and Christ's kingdom. Again, waiting is not passive, but active. Now, I'm not a true Swifty. That is a true Taylor Swift fan. I love Red, 1989, of course, and her Christmas album, Sounds of the Season, which I still have in my car. But after Lover, I was like, ah, I'm good. However, if anyone would be so generous to gift me with these tickets, I will happily receive Decomai them. And do you know what I would do after? I would listen to and learn all her new songs. Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, and whatever album she releases before the concert. Why? Because I want to be ready. I want to sing my heart out. Because when something we know that's really good is coming our way, we don't just wait for it, but we look forward to it with eager expectation, and we, we prepare for it. We prepare room for it. Folks, I have good news for you today. The greatest person ever is coming to town. Not Santa Claus, not Taylor Swift, Jesus. The God who is Emmanuel, the God that is with us. The God who came in humility as a baby in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. The God who broke the curse of everlasting winter, of sin and death through his death on the cross and who is now coming and bringing forth his kingdom of peace, where one day the world will be put to rights, where every culture, every race, every nation, past, present, and future will live as one under the lordship of Christ, where every tear will be wiped, where sin and death will be no more, Friends, we are not people who live in darkness or people who live in a world of never-ending winters. We are a people who live in the morning, who live in the spring, where the light of the world, the sun of righteousness is rising, where Jesus is coming. And so let us be people who actively wait Welcome, Jesus. People who live lives crouched down with arms wide open, waiting to receive his embrace. People eagerly waiting by the window, knowing our best friend is coming to play. People like Simeon and Annan who were praised for their lives of waiting. Let us be people who have prepared room for Christ. Not only for his coming one day, but also for his coming 
today. You see, Jesus will come again, but he is coming to us now by his spirit. And he knocks on the door of each of our hearts, asking to come in, asking to eat with us, asking to dwell in our hearts. And if we let him in and if we prepare room for him, Jesus promises that our hearts won't be empty. In fact, the opposite. They will be fuller than ever. But not full of things to do, anxieties, worries, but full of peace, full of joy, full of hope, full of love. And so, wherever you are with Christ, will you make room in your heart for him? And will you open the door for him into your life? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one who comes to us. You you do not sit far away waiting for us to come to you, but you come with arms wide open, running, ready to put a ring on our finger um, and to, and to, to have a feast for us. You are a good and loving God. And so God, by your spirit, help us to be people that live lives that wait for you and that welcome you. For your spirit today and for your your coming in the flesh again one day because we know that you are good, that you, your coming is good and that your spirit is good. We pray these things in Jesus' name.